Lesson 15, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I want to start with a question. How are you feeling? I have a friend, successful leader in his 60s, who found himself in a place he never imagined, in front of a counselor with his adult son. The counselor wrote down five words on five sheets of paper and said, pick. The signs read, angry, sad, ashamed, afraid, lonely. My friend said it surprised him that in the moment how threatened he was by this because he knew he did not know how he felt. He realized just how emotionally disconnected he had become. And at least he was aware enough to admit this. Sometime do yourself a favor and on YouTube watch Mr. Rogers before the U.S. Senate petitioning them for funding for public television. This was 1969. Rogers said he believed if we could make it clear to children that feelings are mentionable and manageable, that we would have done a great service for mental health in this country. I've come to believe that Fred Rogers was a genius, way ahead of his time, because before other people were talking about it, Rogers understood how important emotional health is to mental and spiritual health. Rogers famously said, anything that's human is mentionable, and anything that's mentionable is manageable. That may sound simple, but it is so profound. Anything that's human is mentionable, so I don't have to be ashamed or hide it. And what's mentionable becomes manageable if we're willing to talk about it. But there's a problem. It's very hard for some of us, men in particular, to want to talk about it, our emotions. Permission to Feel is the title of a bestseller by Mark Brackett, professor at Yale University. What a strange title. Do we really need to be given permission? And apparently, many of us do. And this stuffing of our emotions began before we can remember. Think about the way emotions were perceived in the house where you grew up, writes John Gottman. What was your family's philosophy of emotion? Did they treat sad and angry moments as natural occurrences? Did they lend an ear when family members felt unhappy or fearful? Or was anger always viewed as potentially destructive, fear as cowardly, sadness as self-pitying? Were feelings concealed or dismissed as unproductive, frivolous, self-indulgent? I can't tell you how many times in counseling I've heard someone say, there's just no emotional connection between us. And most of the time, it wasn't because the other spouse didn't want to understand. It was because, often the husband, had no clue how to process his emotional life. I'm sympathetic. I grew up in the South playing sports, and we were taught from an early age to stuff our emotions. Got hit by a ball, rub some dirt on it. Never let him see you cry. I learned early on to be ashamed of my emotions and the feelings of vulnerability attached to them. This distorted image of what it means to be a real man trains us to run from our inner world of feeling. Man up means put on a show of confidence. Don't access your emotions. Recently, Martha Nussbaum 
one of America's most eminent living philosophers, was asked to write a public letter to the next generation. She wrote, The current psychological literature on the life of boys in America indicates that a large proportion of boys are quite unable to talk about how they feel. They have learned to be ashamed of feelings and needs, to push them underground. But that means, she continues, that they don't know how to deal with emotions, their own or others, or how to communicate them. When they're frightened, they don't know how to say it. Often they turn their own fear into aggression. She concludes, this, this lack of a rich inner life catapults them into depression in later life. Close quote. I think she's right. One of the clearest signs in our culture that we have a distorted view of emotions is what is the first thing we do when we begin to cry in front of someone. We apologize. I'm sorry. But where did we get this idea that tears are something we need to apologize for? Certainly not from the Bible. The Bible is filled with the strong men and women of God pouring out their tears. My son is reading the Iliad, Homer's epic, brutal hand-to-hand combat. You see these brave warriors weeping in one another's arms. If the Bible and our best literature hold up a mirror to reality, then you might conclude something is amiss with us. And it is. And this lack of emotional health, it's affecting our work, it's affecting all of our relationships, and to the point at hand, it's affecting our spirituality. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable, writes Pete Scazzaro. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. He believes that emotional health is the missing link in most contemporary visions of what it means to follow Jesus and contends that in the church we have narrowed our view around getting our information straight, our theology in order, but we have ignored the other half of our brain, our emotional health, which is why you often see so many churches whose theology might be orthodox but who are riven with strife and conflict. We need to get our whole brains around our emotions, our whole hearts. When it comes to emotions, we tend to have two equal and opposite errors. Broadly speaking, our secular age tells us to enthrone, enthrone our emotions, to believe that our feelings indicate reality. But feelings make terrible masters. Enthroning emotions only sets us up to be tossed to and fro by waves we can't stop or control. As a reaction, the church has tended toward stuffing emotions, suppressing, being wary of, minimizing. Some of you are old enough to remember the illustration of the feelings train, fact, faith, with feelings as the caboose. An effort to say something true, don't enthrone your emotions, place them under God's word, has led all too often in the church to conclude something false, that emotions are secondary, incidental to spiritual maturity. And we've seen the church has some odd co-conspirators here in distorted visions of masculinity, but also by a church culture that is afraid of and embarrassed by admissions of weakness and dismissive of so-called negative feelings like anger or sadness or fear, as if those indicate lack of faith. This reticence to express our emotions is so odd for people who say that we value the Bible, 
because right in the middle of the Bible, the longest book of the Bible by length, the Psalms, which have been called an anatomy of the human soul. I have two goals for this lesson. One is for you to view the Psalms like you never have, to turn to them when you don't know where else to turn, like Jesus did. The Psalms were Jesus' songbook, the hymn that Jesus sang at his Last Supper and on his way to his darkest hour. This were the Psalms. There's every reason to assume Jesus would have sung the Psalms constantly throughout his life and that Jesus knew all of them by heart. Psalms is the book of the Bible Jesus quotes more than any other. And you might remember that with his last breath, Jesus was quoting a psalm. So, like Jesus, let's learn how to inhabit the psalms and make them the soundtrack of our lives. But we won't do that until we learn to become aware of our emotions. What are emotions? Emotions are like lights on the dashboard of your car, flashing. Pay attention to me, and the engine is your heart out of which we live. Emotions, these are the cries of our heart. And the psalms, they are filled with emotions, filled with the cries of the heart. Unlike any other portion of Scripture, we're taught in any, many other places how to pray, but the Psalms are themselves prayers, God-given prayers to give back to God. And they are filled with the full range of human emotions, even ones we might be sheepish about admitting. David Pallison wrote a book a few years back on anger. The most powerful chapter in the book was entitled, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? the content of that chapter was a single word, yes. Pallison was giving people permission because many of us are reluctant to admit that we have a problem with anger. And this is why the Psalms are so refreshing, healing. They give us permission to it, yes, to admit, yes, sometimes we'll be so angry. Like David in Psalm 58, who prayed, O oh God, break the teeth in their mouth. Or next time you're feeling really mad, you can read Psalm 109. Here's that prayer. May his days be few. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes and may a creditor seize all he has. Whew! If you heard someone say that on open mic night, any prayer request? Yeah, I just want to pray that my ex-boss, that his children become orphans, his wife a widow, and the bank takes all he owns. That's it. Thanks, guys. But this is the one prayer in the prayer book that God gives us. <clears throat> it was prayed by David, the man after God's own heart, telling us, sometimes you will feel this mad. You can pray Psalm 109 to release that anger to the Lord. The psalm is giving you permission to confess you are that angry. It's a description. It's a prescription and that it's giving you permission to admit it. It's not a prescription in that Jesus wants us to call down vengeance on our enemies. Rather, your anger is like a hot rock in your hand. If you hold on to it, it's only hurting you. Drop the rock. Psalm 109 is inviting us. Bring your anger to the one who can help you release it so it doesn't burn up your life. This turns out to be, as we'll see, the path toward freedom, learning how to pray our emotions to the Lord. 
That's what the Psalms are, 150 prayers. And once you start reading them, you quickly discover these are not 150 songs of joy. The Psalms of Lament, what Walter Brueggemann called the Psalms of Disorientation, far outnumber the happy songs, telling us that life will, for God's people, more often than not, feel this way. Nobody wants to live there. That's why they're sometimes called negative emotions. We don't want to live in anger or sadness. But have you yet learned that stuffing these won't help you? Sooner or later, these emotions are going to leak out, probably through your body. As the saying goes, the body keeps the score. It turns out, paradoxically, that the only way out of our sadness is to confront it and pray it. That's how we find comfort and relief. But first, we need to be given permission to feel. Even those emotions we might be scared of, like our sadness. Have you ever noticed that the Psalms are filled with songs of great sadness, like Psalm 31? O Lord, my eye is wasted from grief. My life is spent with sorrow. In Psalm 61, David prays, From the end of the earth I call to you. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you were drowning? That's Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. How about fear? It took me a long time to admit how much fear was controlling my life. Why was it so hard for me to admit that? When no doubt you've heard, the most common command in the Bible is do not fear, implying, well, that fear will be with all of us a lot. And just think about the news recently. Psalm 46, though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved. Well, that's terrifying, but that happened recently in Turkey and Syria. How about a Ukrainian soldier praying Psalm 27, though an army encamp against me? That's fear. How about Psalm 32, uttered in a chemotherapy drip? My bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy upon me. Or how about Psalm 25, which reads, I am lonely and afflicted. I used to think that talking about emotions was weak and intellectually thin. But do these cries sound thin to you? Doesn't it rather take so much more courage to be vulnerable and admit these feelings? In their book, The Cry of the Soul, Dan Allender and Tripper Longman spell out why awareness of our own deep emotions is so important. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions, this ushers us into reality where we meet God. Then they say, emotions are the language of your soul. They they are the cry that gives your heart a voice. However, they continue, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial or disengagement because we are frightened and ashamed of what may leak into our consciousness. So we are false with others and with ourselves. Wow. Everyone talks about how tired we are, always in a hurry. But maybe that hurry is just another symptom Maybe what really exhausts us is the amount of energy we extend to deny and be disconnected from our own feelings. 
I mean, wouldn't it seem like a real encounter with the living God would require us to be vulnerable, would require us to let our guard down? But when we feel like our guard is all that's been holding us up, why? That can be downright terrifying. <clears throat> and this is where the Psalms serve our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. I have these feelings. Am I allowed to express them? Am I allowed to pray them? Yes, you're invited to pray them. God has given you these actual prayers. No matter what circumstance you're going through or what you're facing, you can find that emotion named and given voice in the Psalms. The Psalms give us words when we don't have the words. One of the early church fathers wrote, whatever particular need or trouble from the Psalms you can select, a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. <coughs> Excuse me. Even when you know intellectually it's wrong to think this way, the Psalms give us permission to admit, but we feel this way. Psalm 13 reads, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 77, Has, Have your promises forever failed? Psalm 44, Awake, why are you sleeping, Lord? Now your theology tells you God never slumbers, that God will never forget or forsake you, and yet we are invited to pray then like this. In his commentary on the Psalms, Derek Kidner reflects, the very presence of these prayers are witness to God's understanding. More than we realize, God gets us. He knows how men and women speak when we are desperate. See, anything human is mentionable, and what's mentionable becomes manageable. Let's talk about Psalm 13 for a moment. Just six verses. It opens in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? <coughs> How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? But then, just a few verses later, it ends in verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because He's dealt, dealt bountifully with me. It only takes a few seconds to read Psalm 13, but you might well wonder, how did he get from verse 1 to verse 6? How did that happen? Well, I'm suggesting this is what it looks like to learn to pray your emotions. Psalm 34, verse 6 reads, This poor man cried, and the Lord delivered him from all of his fears. But don't you see, this is how we get delivered by crying out to God and telling God how afraid we really are. That's how we learn to regulate our emotions, through mentioning them in God's presence. And that's the second goal I have for us today, is learning, just learning, beginning to learn how to pray our emotions. Pray our emotions. If that sounds easy, a quick story. A mentor of mine in ministry, Tim Keller, once said that it wasn't until he was in his 50s when he got cancer that he finally had the prayer life everyone had always assumed he'd had. It was then he began to learn how to pray his emotions. And this was so consoling to me that I'm not the only one who finds this hard. <coughs> I mean, if it took one of America's most respected preachers 50 years in cancer, we can admit this. Learning how to recognize, label, engage, and pray our emotions in God's presence, this is not child's play. Because like that proverbial iceberg, 
Most of us live on the surface, unaware of how much what's underneath, what's unconscious and in the past, in our childhoods, how much that's affecting us. So much of what's shaping our life remains submerged, unknown to us and untouched by Jesus. Well, the Psalms are training us how to recognize and label and pray our emotions in God's presence. Learning how to pray your emotions is essential to emotional health. And emotional health is essential to spiritual health. You might be wondering, well, what does emotional health look like? Well, here's a quick symptom checklist of emotional unhealth. Avoiding conflict in the name of keeping peace. Covering over your weaknesses, limitations, and failures. Numbing yourself with the internet, alcohol, or work. A fault-finding, critical spirit. A guardedness, not letting others in or ever letting your guard down. (coughs) Moodiness, irritability, whining, complaining. Rehearsing a grievance, ignoring anger, sadness, or fear. Now, don't let this list discourage you, even if, like me, you could check every box. Hillary McBride once wrote, if I could sum up all my years of clinical training in one statement, it would be this. We heal when we can be with what we feel. We heal when we can be with what we feel. What does that look like? How can we become more aware, much less prey our emotions? It really is like learning a foreign language. And if you've ever learned a new language in midlife, then you know how hard it can be. In the same way, praying our emotions is, for most of us, a new language. But it's a new language that we can learn. I put in our appendix an acrostic that has helped me. O-W-N-E-R. Own, welcome, name, engage, respond. But really, the best way is to dive in and start reading the Psalms for yourself. Discover ones that speak to your experience, that give voice to your feelings. You learn to pray your emotions by praying the Psalms, praying your emotions, and we'll do that in our group today. But I want to close with one word of encouragement. I mentioned earlier, in his final moments, Jesus was quoting a Psalm. Do you remember what it was? That's right, Psalm 22. And there's every reason to believe that Jesus knew every line of that psalm and had the whole psalm in mind when he quoted verse 1. But read Psalm 22 sometime. We know Jesus recognized how he was feeling because he was in touch with his body. Verse 14 reads, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. We know in a sense that Jesus welcomed his emotions, distressing as they were, by his ability to stay present with them. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. <coughs> Does Jesus name his emotions? You bet. That's the famous verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever noticed everywhere else when Jesus refers to him, it's always my Father? Only here it's my God. In one sense, he knew my Father is always with me. But Jesus names and engages his emotions. He engages with them. That's really the journey of Psalm 22. Now, I can't prove that Jesus had all of Psalm 22 in mind, but we know David did, who wrote it. 
And we can see just in reading through it, David is working through this collision between his feelings in verse 1 and God's promises in the rest of the psalm. Psalm 22, like Psalm 13, like most of the psalms of lament and disorientation, it ends in praise and trust. And we want to ask, how? How do we get there? Well, Jesus shows us the way. In his darkest moments, he inhabited the psalm for us so that we can respond by the Lord's power in the way the Lord would have us. We can own our feelings. We can own them, but not enthrone them. We can own and then talk back to our feelings. My heart says, I am forsaken, but my Father says. See, we're learning how to engage our emotions. Like Psalm 22, it starts in desperation, but it ends, verse 21, in praise. You have rescued me, and I will praise you. And David is then able to say, verse 24, He has not hidden his face from me, but he has heard me when I cried. That's one reason I believe we can claim that Jesus had all of Psalm 22 in mind. Because the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 7 reads, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard. He was heard. Psalm 22, my God, he was heard. He felt forsaken, but Jesus prayed his emotions to the one who was able to save him, and the Bible says, and he was heard. But the father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all to pay the debt of our failures to trust, to trust his love, so that today, even in our distress, we might know our father hears cries of our hearts. Look at the lengths he was willing to go to to have us. That's how we can know that we are heard when we pray our emotions. (coughs) Do you remember what Mr. Rogers told the children to sing? What a feeling, what a good feeling when we can talk about our emotions. And it is such a good feeling to be able to pray our emotions in our Father's presence, for he wants to hear the cries of his child. When you know that, you can cry out to the God who understands, to the God who is able to sympathize with our every weakness. And He doesn't just understand how we speak when we're desperate. Our Father invites us to come and approach His throne of grace with confidence that we will find help in our time of need. Where does that comfort come from? It comes through learning how to pray your emotions. Pray what matters to your Father. Thanks be to God that your emotions matter to God. Well, that's just the beginning of emotionally healthy spirituality. See you next week.